Hello, Internet friends, and welcome to Love Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and as ever, we are here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your lives in that order. And Andy. Alex. Um So obviously it'll be yeah, you know, a couple months, a couple weeks, maybe a month after we record this that like uh everything goes live, but um did you remember that today, time of rec- date of recording, <laughs> is the 20th anniversary of 9-11? I mean, I I sure didn't until yesterday night. Last night I was scrolling Twitter and saw like a couple of George Bush memes and then a couple of... 9-11 posts and then one thing that was like oh i wonder who's going to win the award for most performative uh remorse of 9-11 and then kind of the parker malloy tweet it, it probably was yeah yeah and then realized uh, oh shit yeah i guess it is september the 10th yeah so i can never escape this because my birthday is september the 14th uh-huh so it's always right nearby and right there at the like forefront. I'm just like, oh shit, it's almost 9 11 day again. Uh, and I just. I don't think anyone's going to be surprised that this particular podcast isn't going to be um, tremendously commemorative regarding <laughs> that particular day. Right. Um,. I, I, I have, I don't think we've ever made our stances on various things to, uh, trying to find the words here too hard to gauge, but I find it at least worth a douchebag buffer to sit here and acknowledge we're 20 years from 9-11. And the only thought that I have this morning is fuck. In five years, it's going to be 25 years, and then it's going to be really hard to, hard and overbearing to deal with the online world. I just, is that, is that terrible of me? Is that terrible of me? Um, that's not terrible of you. I think that's prescient. I will say my thought once I realized is, oh, you know, more Americans died yesterday, November the 10th, 2021 then died in the uh, September 11th attack. And we're holding this one instance up as a, a pedestal moment in our society and then turning around and, and fighting with each other over the advocacy and the best way to deal with a literal plague. So my thoughts are probably no better. Yeah, I just, it's, it's weird as a millennial because this is very much like one of the defining moments of our existence. Absolutely. I I would argue this is the, the one and two, like original, the, the first and second, like moments that made me as a child acknowledge the world in like a broad scope was the millennium the ball drop the oh my god it's a new millennium and then 911 mhm i yeah 
it's it's our Kennedy assassination. It's our Pearl Harbor. It's the moment where we supposedly lost our innocence. And for some of us, we had less innocence than others. And I just kind of, when I look back on it, all I feel, I don't, like, all I feel is disappointment. Like, that's... I'm trying not to be disrespectful to anyone for whom this is a day that, like, is impactful and you feel deep shit about it. Like, because that's, because no one wants to be, like, I don't want to be shitty. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be like, oh my god, just fucking get over it. Like, that's not the attitude that I want to project out in the world. I struggle because my attitude is very much in a, like, y'all... We, as a nation, have not yet processed the grief of this event. And in the process of not processing that grief, all that has happened has been a lot of people have made money and a lot of other people have not thought very, very deeply about what their country has been doing. And it's just been 20 years of that. And if I'm going to be nice and not just bring that out into general conversation, I just have to sit here quietly going, yep, it's this is another 9-11. Yeah. yeah. My birthday's in three days. I don't, I don't like that day either. So, yeah. <laughs> Here's like I'm spending more time tweeting about vaccine mandates than than 9/11 today. So. Well, and and good on you. I mean, I it, it's been a minute since I have made any sort of public comment one way or the other about 9/11. Uh, meanwhile, my mom has posted like four Facebook memes in a row, one of which is the plane literally like moments from hitting the tower, which I find distasteful, but okay. Um, here's here, not to spoil a, a later topic, but here's really all I think we need to acknowledge. I was going through my email to pull open my notes. And as I did, you know, I'm on my email starting page and about the sixth email down is from the Dr. Squatch Soap Company, who are fine purveyors of an all-natural soap and whose products I enjoy. And Dr. Squatch sent an email that was just titled, Remembering 9-11. Let's take a moment to reflect. I have a fucking soap company sending me a commemorative 9-11-like Take a moment today, email. Sure. I saw an Instagram post from a local pawn shop that I follow because they sell, you know, they sell guitars and various musical instruments. I've never bought from them, but I've been in there before and like checked out their shit. And I'll just, you know, there's, there's just a picture of the Twin Towers and a never forget Finkelstein's pawn shop. Yep. And I'm just like, okay, let's, let's uh, 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 what? Well, on the bright side, the the twenty year war has ended, and that's not uh, going yes, to. Yes, and uh... <laughs> sure, you know, and and the last move we made was uh, drone striking ten civilians, including a medical operative. So, yeah, 
Oh, guys, we're, we do such a bad job. Oh, God. <sighs> I'm going to well. admit something on this podcast. I, <laughs> I have a very dark, I have a very dark impulse to just be like, you know, all those people died in vain, right? We've, we've certainly uh, not done a good job of proving otherwise, I feel, by and large. Yeah. Or, or maybe maybe like you and me and our parents have maybe done an okay job as, as much as we're capable. The people who were put into power to make sure that they did not die in vain have done a piss poor job and whoever could have seen that coming. Uh, I'm not going to dwell on it. Just today, I, I'm going to have a pretty good day just because I'm going to like hang out with my dog and like take some walks sure. and chill out and enjoy my Saturday. Yeah. I encourage all of you, enjoy your Saturdays, whether or not they fall on 9-11. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Shall we get started? Yeah. Speaking of enjoying our Saturday, we hope you're enjoying this, uh, this, this uh, reflection like a month later. Um, welcome to Love Hate Relationship Proper. Uh, every episode, one of us talks about something we love. The other one talks about something we hate. And we take your relationship questions and give our perfectly unqualified advice. And today I've got the love. You do, and uh, I'm I'm excited about this one because this is one I'm like passingly familiar with, but not nearly the fan that you are. So sure. I'm interested to learn some shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so speaking of uh, events that happened about a month ago, and because of the nature of our show, we're getting into now. Uh, today, I want to talk about a a actor who I I dearly enjoyed, um, the irrefutable Michael K. Williams. And to start off by just explaining who I'm talking about in case that name isn't familiar, you know, Michael K. Williams was a New York based actor who was most famous and most recognizable for his role of Omar in the wire. And, you know, mm -hmm. the wire is touted as one of the single greatest television shows ever created. Omar is arguably one of the like top two breakout characters from the show um, and so I feel like a, a decent chunk of people will know who I am talking about if I say I'm talking about Omar from The Wire. Uh, Michael K. Williams was also tragically found dead in his apartment on September 6th from a suspected heroin overdose. Yep. And so I remember texting you basically the moment I found out, like, holy fucking shit, Michael K. Williams died. Um, and you know, we, we exchanged a little bit of it. I, and I clearly got the sense that like, not in a disrespectful way from your part, but this, this affected me more than it did you. Um, and mm -hmm. so I wanted you to expound on that a little bit and just give me like in a nutshell, your thoughts on the actor. Sure. So, um, I have seen some of the wire. I have not watched The Wire all the way through, and I did not watch it when it was, like, airing live. So, while I'm interested in The Wire, why I, while I very much want to watch The Wire all the way through, because by all accounts, it is the best television show to ever exist. I Yeah, I this is just to everybody, this is the briefest aside. Season one of The Wire is a perfect season of television. 
it is the standard to which all shows should hold themselves, especially all dramas, but go on. Yeah, yeah. So I, I and I'd like to, but I have seen a little of The Wire. Um, I think for most people, that is kind of the Michael K. Williams, like, definitive point. Yeah. I was passingly familiar with him from, you know, a handful of other things. Um, you know, I remember seeing him as one of the Richard Sacklers in the Last Week Tonight with John Oliver episode about the opioid epidemic. Mm Mm-hmm which is uncomfortable. Um, I know that he... I, I, I remember him from... I remembered his face from the Trapped in the Closet video. Yep, absolutely. Um, the old R. Kelly video. Like, I, I just remember watching that back in the day, and, like, later I would see him and be like, oh, it's the one dude from Trapped in the Closet. Like, I remember him. Um, funny enough... The role of his that I am most recently acquainted with is he's Smokey. He voices Smokey in F is for Family. I wasn't sure if you knew that, so I was going to save that as like the big, the big reveal. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, and here's the thing: I did not realize that until I was reading about his death on Twitter, and like one of the things mentioned that. And I was like, oh, my God, he's fucking smoky. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So so that 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 created some thoughts there. Um, I really liked F is for Family. It's a recent watch for me. Smokey is one of the best, like, supporting characters in that entire show. Champagne chariot not responsible for broken condoms. Anyone who gets fucked with a bowling alley rubber deserves to get pregnant. Smokey speaking. So I had some feelings there. Um... But yeah, I've never been a giant Michael K. Williams fan, not because I haven't enjoyed his work, but just because the work that he has had, I have not really gotten the opportunity to engage with. I haven't watched Lovecraft Country. I haven't played any of the video games that he's in. I haven't seen When They See Us or Motherless Brooklyn like, or Happen Leonard. I've heard of all these things. But a, but a lot of them I just have not seen. And that's incredibly fair. So I'm intrigued to learn more about him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's incredibly fair, and, and thank you for that. I think that that highlights, to me, one of the most um, maybe underplayed tragic elements of his passing. Michael K. Williams never got that Marvel movie moment. He never... He, he, he was in a couple of higher profile things. You know, he, he had a, a, a minor role in 12 Years a Slave. Um, but he, his biggest thing was The Wire and mm-hmm. Boardwalk Empire and Happen Leonard. A bunch of like amazing TV shows, but he never quite got the public recognition that I think he deserves outside of the people who watched The Wire. Uh, sure. You know, I will say for myself, Michael K. Williams put my ass in a seat and I've used that expression before for, you know, Guillermo del Toro and other like esteemed people. And, and this man was a phenomenal actor. In, in my opinion, I found him to always be an incredibly engaging and charismatic performer. You know, we've been mm-hmm. talking about it, but the, the other roles that people might recognize him in are Chalky White and Boardwalk Empire, the policeman from the entirety of the R. Kelly Trapped in the Closet series. <laughs> yeah. 
Leonard Pine from the criminally underrated Happen Leonard. Like, that is a show that I'm the only person I know who likes that show, but that show fucking rules. <laughs> I've heard good things about it, I but I've never seen a single episode. Uh, and that's fair. Uh, you know, Freddy from The Night Of, which is a show I've been meaning to see... You know, he he had a bit part in the road as like one of the the random cannibal thieves that Vigo Mortensen had to kill, um, and Twelve Years a Slave, and as you mentioned, probably his his last biggest roles were uh, Montrose in Lovecraft County, which I still haven't seen, and Smokey mm-hmm. in From Evans for Family, which it has some of the best lines in that entire show. <laughs> Please find a good Smokey drop. Oh, this. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, like find other things, find a good like line from the wire, find stuff that shows his chops, but please find a good smoky line. Oh no, of course I, I will. Uh, that will be my greatest joy. Uh, so he wasn't, he wasn't ever like prominent. Like um, I want to make sure I get this guy's name, right? Hold on. Uh, there's an actor, uh, Yaha Abdul-Mateen who, was in Aquaman and he is the lead in the new Candyman, And it was revealed that he's going to be playing young Morpheus in the matrix four. Like this guy, this actor is rising up through the ranks into like, Holy shit. Um, levels and, and Michael K. Williams never got that. But when he showed up, when he was in a project, you always knew that it was going to be like, phenomenal and a a real treat and like you're lucky to be getting this guy in your project not to just draw the comparison because of how they both passed away Mm. but there was a world for philip seymour hoffman before capote and after capote Mm. pre-capote philip seymour hoffman was a people liked him He'd show up in roles and he was always like, he would steal some scenes. Sure. You know, it's rare you would say he stole a movie, but he would steal scenes. He'd be respected. He'd be enjoyed. Um, you know, did he, as you put, as you say with Michael K. Williams, put an ass in a seat? Maybe for f- a few people, but not everyone. Yeah. Then he does Capote. And then his entire career is a complete shift. And after that, he goes from being like, oh yeah, that's that's that one guy who, you know, he was in Twister and he was in Red Dragon to that is Philip Seymour Hoffman. You will put respect on his name. Yeah. And I, Michael K. Williams never got that. Yeah. I think that's a, a very apt comparison. And and I, I hadn't drawn that connection, but thank you for that. Yeah. Um, he didn't get his Capote, but... He did get Omar and Mm -hmm. Omar, like Omar and the wire deserve their own, own topics, but like playing Omar little, this, this Robin hood of Baltimore's drug trade from the wire. He, he was the breakout character. You know, you had people who liked McNulty. You had people who liked uh, Idris Elba. You had people who liked, you know, just random characters, but then everybody liked Omar because Omar was the single most badass character in maybe all of television. This incredible quote machine, you know, neither here nor there, but uh, Barack Obama basically said that it was his favorite character in all of television. (laughs) Um, And I think all of this was just more like 
so much more iconic because Michael K. Williams just absolutely slaughtered the assignment and absolutely came into that role and knew what he wanted to do. Omar. Um, but all in all, I and, and I know a lot of people haven't seen this. I think Michael K. Williams' single greatest performance is actually from this. I, I guess you can only call it a short film. It, it was like this viral video that came out over the internet in 2018. It's this three minute, I'm going to call it short film produced by the Atlantic called typecast. And in typecast, Mm -hmm. Michael Williams is playing four different versions of himself, basically having like this internal dialogue over the issues of typecasting especially typecasting for an African-American man and getting into the whole thing of like, does anybody ever really escape? You know, if, what does it actually mean to be typecast? What does it actually mean to break through of, of typecasting both in film and in real life? And it is, it, it, it blew me away the first time I ever saw it and still kind of gives me some chills uh, I'm actually going to ask for it to be linked in the show notes so that people can watch this because I think it is just one of the most powerful less than five minute videos I've ever seen. I'm, you know, I'll stick that in the show notes happily. Yeah, no, it's, it's really wonderful. I think, um, okay. So I wanted to talk about that and get into, you know, a little bit of stuff I didn't know about Michael K. Williams. Um, I had no idea about all this, but was really delighted to find out that he actually began his career as a dancer, which links him to Mads Mikkelsen, you know, the other one of the other <laughs> actors I've taken the time to talk about on the show about how much I fucking love them. So listen, I have a type. Listen. You, you do. You always have. <laughs> um, you know, he began, he began his career just as like a, a dancer in New York doing background stuff and, you know, finally got a, a big break and wound up being like touring with George Michael and Madonna. And now I want to mm-hmm. ask you, do you know who Crystal Waters is? Name sounds familiar. Is there a song you can attach it to? Yeah, 100% True Love. Breaking my rule about Googling shit. <laughs> Crystal. That na- that sounds so familiar. It, it's she, she, I'm fully unaware of her music, but uh, having listened to that song, it seems like that kind of very industrial, not quite rap R&B kind of 90s vibe. Neither here nor there. Um, his his biggest musical um, accolade was choreographing the music video for 100% True Love, Crystal Waters. Um, I literally just listened to 10, 10 seconds of this song. I know this song. Okay. I want you It's 
This is a song I've never known by name, really, but, like, I know this song. Sure. So, if anybody's interested, if anybody cares, watch that music video, look it up. It was choreographed by Michael K. Williams, and, in fact, he's the the dancer in the middle. And I just thought that was like, oh, I had no idea. I, I just thought you kind of sprouted out of the Baltimore acting scene like so many other actors from The Wire and just did that and and learning that there was a a depth to the man um you know really made me happy um and so i kind of want to talk as as we're winding down on this i want to talk back i think about our anthony bourdain episode which was one of our earliest episodes when did we do an Anthony Bourdain episode? Well, I remember maybe maybe it wasn't Anthony Bourdain specifically, but I remember you brought up a love in which we discussed Anthony Bourdain's suicide. Oh, wait. Is that when I hated on um uh tortured artists? That might have that must have been it, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, way back in the catalog for us. <sighs> Um, but this this kind of had me thinking about Anthony Bourdain. Um, ironically, not Philip Seymour Hoffman, but Williams was found dead on September the 6th by his nephew. And I don't think it's been, at time of recording, been long enough for a formal autopsy report. But news reports, you can look this up. There was heroin on the table. Um, I've seen mixed reports on whether or not he had a needle in his hand or what, but by all intents and purposes, it really seems like Michael K. Williams died of a heroin overdose. Mm. Um, and it, it, one of the most interesting takes I saw about this when I heard about it was Robert Evans of the behind the bastards podcast, uh, talking about like, you know, you never know what anybody's dealing with. You never know what people's demons are. Check your shit. Like no judgment, yeah. but whatever you do gets, get a way to test your shit make sure it's clean. Make sure you're, if you're going to be doing something like shooting up heroin, you're doing it as safely as possible. Like mm-hmm. there's no reason you have to die over this particular demon. Check your shit. And yeah, right. That's like, that's haunting. And that's also one of those goddamn Robert Evans takes I've ever heard of. It is. I, I, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but um, there's a distinctive line of reasoning that exists even among like people who would call themselves liberal in this country where something like a needle exchange is considered anathema. Mm. Like you... Something where, like, and and for those who didn't listen to that episode or don't know what this is, a needle exchange is a place where um, people who inject intravenous drugs can go and get clean needles. They can surrender their dirty or used needles, get clean needles. In some cases, they even offer a space where you can inject on site and they have on staff medical people just in case of overdose. And it's... It's no judgment. They don't exactly like provide, they don't provide the drugs or anything, but like they provide a safe place to do it and provide needles. And it's usually publicly funded. Um, My own county, I I discovered they have this, they have a needle exchange. Um, 
And there are a lot of people who hate that because they say that it's condoning drug use, that it's encouraging this. And the fact of the matter is, um, that's a very, um, I'm going to be honest, stupid take and uninformed take. People are going to do this no matter what. So if you don't want people to die, better to create structures so that they can do the thing safely. Mm. Not everyone who uses heroin is addicted to it. But a lot of people will die because they're using it and they have a dirty needle or because they overdose or because they don't know what they're doing. That Or, or because they're getting shit that's laced with something. Fentanyl is a... Getting heroin or cocaine laced with fentanyl right now is a huge problem. It's made worse right now. And Evans talked about this on another podcast that I listened to. Um, the supply chain for illicit drugs has been disrupted due to COVID. Sure. Ports are shut down. So you're getting a whole lot of stuff that's being home. Like the market is flooded right now with shit that's homegrown by people who don't know what the fuck they're doing. And a very small amount of fentanyl will increase the efficacy of the drugs hugely but you do just a little too much and it is too much and people will overdose and or die and we're not talking enough about that particular epidemic and the solution is not cracking down more on drug use that hasn't worked that hasn't worked since nixon decided to start using it so I think it was when you're dealing with go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. You think it I, was? I think it was Sweden or one of the Scandinavian countries took it even a step farther and just basically made it as easy to do this as possible. Um, you know, to, to do hard drugs with the stipulation that it was all, through government mandation and setting up basically like hotels where people could go shoot up safely. And it, it, it wasn't like a, you know, a, a, a dirty place or a, a shameful criminal place. It was, it was literally just like, okay, let's go a hundred percent the other direction and make this as close to government regulation as possible and have found that like that style of treatment actually winds up letting less people stay addicted to the drug and certainly less people die from it. Yeah. I think it was um, Portugal. Portugal decriminalized all drugs back in 2000. All of them. You, you get caught with drugs in Portugal, like, no, no issues there. They have decriminalized all drugs. And by percentage and by full and, and by the numbers, their rates of drug addiction, drug death have gone down. Their rates of drug recovery and people who have successfully entered into a rehabilitatory process have gone up. If you don't understand that process, you need to do more reading and look at examples like Portugal. If you dismiss that process out of hand, you need to not be weighing in on this decision. You don't have a valid opinion. Deal with that. But yeah, we lost somebody at least partially because we have a system in place where 
they weren't able to properly either test their shit, weren't aware of the need to test their shit, and didn't have access easily to those resources. And, you know, Michael K. Williams was a successful actor. He, you know, probably had access to better drug dealers than the person down your street from you. And this shit still happened to him. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's tough, you know, and, and for, for just context, um, this is another thing I didn't know, but you know, uh, Mike Gray Williams spent portions of his life, especially when he was trying to make it in New York as a dancer, he was intermittently homeless. And I don't think there's any, um, by biographical accounting of any particular hardships he had to face then. So who knows, uh, what demons he was dealing with. I do know it is like on the record that he got so into character filming the wire, playing Omar. He basically fell into the character for a couple of years and developed a cocaine addiction, um, that he then like, once the show was over, realized he needed to get help for and, and did so. And, and was never, um, never quiet about his own, addiction issues after that but you know yeah this was this was a guy who by all intents and purposes could have gotten safe stuff and if he really wanted to could have put safety measures in place and i don't know if there was a a degree of shame to what he was doing and and a shame that okay i need to be alone when I do this and, and that, you know, plays a part in, in his death. Um, it's, it's, it's a tragedy. You know, there's nothing else to really say about it. His, his death serves as a tragic reminder that you never really know what a person is going through, what demons they are battling at any given moment. Um, Mm -hmm. and he was a man who, who wasn't unfamiliar with demons. (laughs) This is, this is going to sound like a non sequitur, but one of the very final performances he gave was the 2021 BET awards. There was a tribute to DMX and that yeah. tribute to DMX involved Michael K. Williams on stage performing as quote unquote DMX. And I don't think you, I, I, it, on the one, on the one hand, yes, he's an actor, but on the other hand, I think especially there's a a parallel to be drawn there, and there's maybe something to read into with being able to portray somebody else who we know had demons. Um, yeah. So, watch The Wire. Watch uh, the short piece typecast that we're linking in the short in the show notes. Um, watch Happen Leonard. The first season of Happen Leonard kicks ass. Um, and just, uh, you know, if nothing else, take a, take a moment, especially, I would say, especially if you're unfamiliar with this actor, take a moment, take less than five minutes and watch the YouTube piece. Um, and just, I, I want to use this platform to spread the man's name and work as much as possible. And so if that's, if that's the least I can do, if I can get one person to watch this YouTube video, I will feel accomplished and that, uh, you know, I wanted to talk about him as a love, especially uh, so soon after his passing. And so I, I'm happy to have done that.
Hey, yo, lesson here, babe. You come at the king, you best not miss. Well, thank you, dear boy. I appreciate that. Um, when I do get around to watching The Wire in full, um, I will be that much more appreciative for having had this much background into the man himself. Of course. Uh, shall we move on? Yeah, let's get into something completely different. Something totally different. So, um, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Andy, and just kind of assume... You know, it's funny. I wasn't thinking about the fact that today is 9-11. Um, when I sent you this, because um, we were planning on recording today. Right. But, um, so if you want to if you wanna slide 9-11 into this question, uh, feel free. <laughs> but um, if not, you can go with it as straight. As kind of an intro here, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and ask you to go into your head a few months back during Pride Month and tell me the most ridiculous rainbow wash ad that you saw could be a commercial banner ad something physical a promoted tweet anything the most head-scratchingly baffling why is this corporation doing ra rainbows advertisement that you saw yeah so well you already know my 9-11 answer it's it's the people i buy pine tar soap from reminding me to take a moment to to remember today <laughs> Mm -hmm. Um, but, but for your actual question, thinking back to pride month, and I know this year, especially like there was no tolerance for the performative action of, oh, we changed our logo into a rainbow. And a lot of people were quick to be like, yeah, let's see if it's still fucking there August 1st. Mm -hmm. Um, any of the big tech companies, I remember thinking it was particularly stupid and egregious, like, We've, we've talked about how much I hate Larry Ellison at Oracle, but um, seeing the Oracle Pride logo, I was a little bit like, you you guys, you guys don't care. I know you don't care. There's no way you care. There's no way AT&T cares. There's no way any of these companies that focus on, like, just big tech revenue actually give a shit. But to answer your question... I actually have a, a real bone to pick. And I think the most ridiculous rainbow washout I saw was for um, some of the gaming companies, um, particularly mm -hmm. Bethesda, the fine developers of Skyrim and the fallout games. And, you know, one of the biggest game content platforms there are. Mm -hmm. um, Bethesda changed their logo to, you know, accommodate in, in, instead of a black symbol, it was now a rainbow symbol, except for in the countries where LGBTQ is not really, uh, not really accepted. So like you can, you can look this up, but like, if you look up Bethesda pride ad, the first thing you'll see is a call out post on Twitter where it's side by side Bethesda's Twitter account versus Bethesda Middle East's Twitter account where they didn't change it. I used to be an adventurer like you and I took an arrow in the knee. Hmm. Which that one really just kind of shows we don't actually believe in this message of pride and equality outside of thinking that we'll be able to get a few bucks by if you think we do care. And at the same time, we're going to make sure we don't lose a few bucks by making sure that 
people in these countries where it is not such a publicly accepted thing. They have no idea that we pretend to care. I think that's perfect. Uh, that that is exactly the kind of situation I was looking for, Andy, and I appreciate that. Um, you know, for me, it was Home Depot. Uh, <laughs> Home Depot putting fucking rainbow flags up like immediately after donating to some of the most homophobic nonprofits, as well as the Trump administration. Sure, sure. Like literally during Pride Month, doing that. While having tweets up with, like, fucking the Home Depot logo in Rainbow and talking about how inclusive they are. And it's the most double-speak bullshit that I'd ever seen. So, I'll say this. Chick-fil-A is horrible, but at least they didn't put fucking rainbows up. Yeah, they they stuck to their, uh, their byline. Yeah. So, I appreciate that. That is an excellent introduction, and we'll probably end up referencing it again in this conversation. Um... My hate for this topic, for this, uh, my hate topic for this episode is what I'm deeming corporate wokeness. Okay. And I'm, and I'm deeming it that, um, personally, there's a few terms for it. Um, but the, (laughs) the problem with this as I, and I always like to go into my definitions, but the problem with looking for some of those definitions is that if you try to do any kind of Googling around this concept, your results are weirdly angry right-wing takes for the most part. Oh, You know, there's shock. a whole bunch of Federalist articles about how, yeah, there's a whole bunch of Federalist articles and fucking New York Post articles about, like, how corporate wokeness is companies surrendering to liberal bullshit. I don't know. It's, it's, it. It's not conducive to what I want to argue about here. Although, I would argue hating the corporate wokeness is one of the few things the far right and the far left can agree on. Yeah. Um, what they both seem to agree on is um, corporate wokeness, also commonly known as faux-woke or woke capitalism, is the propensity for large-scale companies to use surface-level imagery, language, and narratives from progressive and social justice movements to market themselves to socially conscious consumers, but with little to no material or substantive support for or engagement with these issues. It's a little bit academic, but basically it means they're taking all of the like call signs, all the signals and imagery and statements from the feminist movement, from Black Lives Matter, from certain very, very cherry-picked aspects of anti-authoritarian movements, um, from anti-police movements, and they're signaling certain things, but they're not in any way deeply engaging with those issues. Sure. Yeah, exactly. It's it's what I was just saying. It's We're going to put up a, a pride symbol in the countries where that might get us some revenue, and we're going to leave it off in the countries where that might cost us ad revenue. Exactly. Um, This isn't overwhelmingly new. In the 60s and 70s, companies like Coke and GM ran tons of TV and magazine ads about how they were working for the environment or invoking images of civil rights leaders in really cynical ways to suggest that they, like, get it. Yeah. Despite their incredibly shitty actions. It's it is hilarious when Coca-Cola runs images of Martin Luther King who died supporting a 
strike by the sanitation workers union and then understanding what coke does to their own unions the cynicism of that like that's not what aboutism that is outright hypocrisy sure so it's but you know martin luther king is black santa claus to the average american so it's fine it's good marketing especially around black history month and mlk day so recently it's become so pervasive i think partly because of our constant media diets and partly because of our vocally split politics and pretty much no sincerely politically engaged person on either side of this issue is happy about it like i said you google corporate wokeness most of the stuff on the google results are from right-leaning websites and periodicals complaining about it at the same time andy you and i are both to varying degrees plugged into leftist twitter and you yourself said that like when it came to the the pride issue or the 9-11 issue most of the people a lot of so many of the people on your feed were recognizing it for the cynical like marketing cash grab that it was yeah was that your experience? That and a lot of uh, reminding all of us that George Bush is a war criminal. Yeah. Which, like, that's the thing. I... There are a lot of people I know who aren't really, like... The, again, the people for whom politics exists every four years. Or maybe every two years and they pat themselves on the back for that. Reminders that George Bush is a war criminal are still big and surprising to them. Whereas for you and me, that's everyday life. That's just that's just left Twitter. You know, the, the we are we are the ones who said rotten piss when Donald Rumsfeld died. Yeah, and I say that because I'm quoting myself. I was like, <laughs> rotten piss, Donald Rumsfeld. I don't care if your family is sad. So, neither end of the real, like, people who are ide ideologically committed to this are happy about this. However, it works for a certain segment of the consumer base. The reason why they're doing this. Um, and I'm going to see if I can find it. Um, I didn't actually put it in my notes, but there was, there was a Guardian article I read that I didn't actually end up liking because its final thesis was basically like, I, I probably won't link to it. You can Google it if you want. Just Google like The Guardian Corporate Wokeness. Um, it had a take that I appreciated, which was the biggest reason for this corporate wokeness movement is because the consumers who have the most money right now are the people who have remained in the middle class or are in the upper working class. Sure. And those people are at least nominally kind of socially conscious. So if, you, if you're not marketing to poor rural peeper, people who, um, as Barack Obama put it, cling to their guns and their Bibles because they don't have money to spare... And you're not marketing to wealthy people because, let's be frank, if you're Coca-Cola, 
you're still only going to be selling so many Cokes to that one person. You want to market to people, to middle class or upper working class families who are at least nominally socially conscious. They know that it's wrong to say, be homophobic. Or they know that it's wrong to say, be a company that says absolutely nothing about police brutality in this country. Or who doesn't seem to have an opinion about diversity. Granted, actions and verbalized marketing opinions are two different things, but that's the point. It's lip service. Mm -hmm. It's... The problem is, when you actually look at these movements, like these proper movements, not with those, you know, liberal, middle-class folks, and when I say liberal, I mean moderate, um, folks are doing, like, the idea of Home Depot putting out rainbow ads talking about their commitment to inclusion during Pride is fucking laughable. Yeah. When you know about their union-busting efforts, their political contributions to the right-wing groups... It, it, it's 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 hypocritical. The idea of Pepsi doing that fucking Kendall Jenner ad where riot cops are placated with a goddamn can of soda is outright disrespectful. <laughs> like, it's it's this surface level engagement that pisses me off. Right, and uh, take that a step. Am further. I just ranting? Like, no, no, not at all. I was about to say, let's take this a step further. When was the last time, when was the first time a major corporation spoke out in support of the Black Lives Matter movement? Like, it's it's this pick and choosiness of it, too. It's easy to change your Twitter logo for a month and pretend that means you give a shit and see, you're, you're throwing a line in the water and seeing what bites. You know? Talk to me when Home Depot comes out as supporting BLM or the Portland protests or anything like that. And then like offers some sort of actual aid, some sort of like a a fucking donation of a pallet of wood to help you build your barricade. Like, Talk to me when Home Depot is Ben and Jerry's. (laughs) Well, you know what? Yeah, exactly. Because I remember that was a whole Twitter moment for a second where people were like, fuck yeah, Ben and Jerry's. Good for you. You did more than the minimum effort. And we're so starved for more than the minimal effort. It's that Chris Rock joke. Well, I feed my kids. What do you want, a cookie? I mean, yeah. And the thing is, Ben and Jerry's has always... Ben and Jerry's is two dudes from Vermont. Like, they've always been, like, liberal, left-leaning liberal. I'd say they're not, like, dead center-of-the-road liberal, but they're, like, left-leaning liberal. Yeah. Like, no lie, between Ben, between ben and Jerry and Bernie Sanders, I kind of want to move to Vermont. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's so white, Andy. It's so white. I spent five days in Burlington and I was just praying for a black person. (laughs) Fair enough. And I was living in Camden at the time. So I was just like, oh, God, I feel unsafe. (laughs) I derailed you. Go on. (laughs) No, you're good. I mean, it's it's worth calling out something like a Ben and Jerry's because, like, I don't think Ben and Jerry's it. Ben and Jerry's is not going to lead us into the revolution. 
Ben and Jerry's is not the Black Panthers. Ben and Jerry's is just like, and here's the other thing. Ben and Jerry's isn't a corporate juggernaut. It's a like, for the US, it is a like medium sized corporation. And they do, you know what? They do what, again, we argue are bare minimums, are basics. They actually like contribute monetarily to certain social justice movements. They will outright, you know, support Black Lives Matter. They will equivocate on some things. Um, I, (sighs) their stance on Palestine, I have struggles with because they'll do things like say that they, you know, won't sell their ice cream in like fucking occupied uh, Palestine, but they'll sell it in the rest of Israel. Mm. They'll, you know, do vocal support for BDS for boycott, divestment and sanctions. But again, they're still selling in fucking Israel. Sure. So I, I have my equivocations there. They're not perfect. But I'm so starved for any, like, corporate entity that actually gives enough of a shit to do any of this stuff that it's almost, like, wonderful to me. And I want to give them more. It's 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 voting for Joe Biden when Donald Trump is the other choice. You know? Fair. It is voting for Hillary Clinton when Donald Trump is the other choice. I expect better from you, but my alternatives are shit. Mm. And if I have to choose between, if I have to choose between rotten food and literal shit, I'm going to eat the rotten food. Sure. So that's, (laughs) I am slightly derailed myself because I'm sitting here (laughs) just going like Ben and Jerry's just, I want better of you, but you're also doing the best of anybody. (laughs) It's it's there there's the curve is horrible. Grading well, yeah. on this curve is a nightmare. I mean that's the real but, thing of it is just we are approaching we I, I, I'm trying to remember a specific example because I swear to god I saw one, but it's not coming to mind. We are approaching a point where we are getting corporatization military. Like we are we are approaching like fucking Amazon has a warehouse in southern, 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 twenty minutes from the border, California. Which, if you look at this thing from space, it's bigger than like the Daytona Five Hundred racetrack. We are inches away from Blade Runner, where just we 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 lose all political allegiance and it becomes corporatization allegiance. And once we get to that point, Amazon isn't going to feel the need to turn their logo rainbow for a while. Or, you know, here's the thing they might, but they're not going to do anything material about it. Right. That's the issue. It's, it's, I want to I want to zero in for a moment on this whole idea of like the co-opting of imagery and the not engaging with this shit. Mm-hmm. 
I want, like, let's think about that Kendall Jenner ad. For those of you who don't know, there was a commercial a while back that Pepsi did where basically showed a whole lot of images of, like, what were effectively anti-police brutality riots. And then Kendall Jenner fucking comes out of the mix of it to, like, a battalion of fucking riot cops who were all set up to attack these protesters, hands one of them a Pepsi. Yeah. And this riot cop fucking drinks it, and it, like, creates peace. It's it's placing the flower barrel, or it's placing a flower in the shotgun barrel, only it's handing someone a, a can of soda. And I, I, it's so important to remember the real-life context of that is, like, that was, like, at the height of the protest and the, and the George Floyd movement that was like dead square. We're two and a half weeks in. This is the biggest story in America. And Pepsi's reaction is, Oh, let's make a commercial that insinuates Pepsi is the answer. And, and the thing is like when people called Pepsi on this, they were like, well, we're not trying to suggest that Pepsi is the answer. We're just trying to send a message in our commercials about like finding common ground and if that common ground is pepsi you know so much the better and the idea is okay that suggests that the solution to an issue like police brutality is finding common ground which is a very very nice sentiment for suburban white people who wear khakis on Saturday. Mm -hmm. That doesn't engage with systems of police brutality. That doesn't engage with white supremacist overstructures and authoritarian violence. That doesn't engage with militarized police departments. That doesn't engage with redlining. That doesn't engage with all the real reasons why this issue is actually here. You can play at saying, okay, well, let's find places for connection all you want. But the next step of that is engaging with these questions. And you're never going to do that. Pepsi is never going to do that because Pepsi has literally contributed to the overthrow of majority non-white nations democratically elected governments so that they can more cheaply produce their product pepsi is a company that has benefited from white supremacy so it makes a profit from arguing to socially conscious but vapid liberals that they care about white supremacy. But if they engage with white supremacy any deeper than the surface level, they have to accept responsibility for monstrous activities that they have done and continue to do. Mm -hmm. It literally eats their profits to go any deeper. And that makes this so much more insulting. Mm-hmm. And even beyond that, when you're get, when when all you have is the surface level, when all you're doing is that, we already live in a period of politics of aesthetics. Like I said before, only rich people and racists actually supported Trump policies for the policies. The rest of the people who supported him, the, the people who say, I don't think John, Donald Trump is a racist, I think a good percentage of those people really do believe that. 
But the thing is, they liked him as a person. They liked what he projected and represented to them. They liked that he was brash. They liked that he seemed like a... He, he, he projected this bullying aura. They like the idea of someone who presents himself as strong. They didn't read his policies. They couldn't tell you what the fuck he actually believed or represented in terms of his actual, like, political structure. They liked the aesthetics of him. Mm. These, compa these companies playing into that with the surface-level co-opting of social justice imagery to sell their shit... It shows a contempt for the consumer who they're marketing to because they know young people and well-off liberals buy more shit than rural broke people and a handful of rich folks. And by never going past that surface, they play into this politics of aesthetics. People liked Donald Trump. A lot of people liked Donald Trump because of what he projected. They don't like social progressive movements because of what they project because of their imagery, because it, it's people who claim that Antifa, that an unorganized anti-fascist movement is actually more fascist. They're literally doing that because they're in black block and because they have covered faces and because they react with violence to state violence. They see the outward projections and all they were doing is reacting to the aesthetics. When companies take those aesthetics without any understanding of them and just push them out there, they're reinforcing this really poor understanding of any of this. This is not the source of, like, the disjointed nature of politics, but it is definitely reinforcing it, especially nowadays when we have more advertisements than ever before, hitting us constantly. Andy, you and I are both addicted to Twitter. How many fucking ads do you think you read in a given day? Yeah. It, shit, man. They're starting to be on TikTok. I know you've you've made the exodus, but like I've noticed more and more, like if you just kind of randomly scroll through TikTok and it's not the page you cultivate for yourself. Like I remember like five, six months ago, every... 25th might be an ad to the point where it's like oh how quaint there's an ad for shoes i'm never gonna buy and now it's like seriously every fourth to the point where i swear to god what was it it was the lifetime channel the lifetime channel has an official tiktok and made a TikTok that was actually funny and engaging. And I went, that's the first good ad I've seen on TikTok. Good for you, Lifetime Channel. Good for you, person who got that job. It's all a cup game. It's, it's, it is all a cup game, but you're playing for your own money and there's more than three cups and the system's rigged against you anyway. And... Yeah, man, I don't think this is one we're going to fix, but it's certainly one to be aware of and be uh, actively annoyed by. Yeah, I politics of aesthetics, I think, is really the key here, like understanding that concept, the idea of people engaging with political movements, not because of what they actually mean yeah. or what they're actually doing, but because, I mean, it's tribalism. Yeah. And I think people don't want to engage with that. 
I think the average person isn't interested in, you know, reading about the psychology of marketing or the psychology of divisive politics. We are an undereducated voting block. We are an undereducated society. Some of that, a lot of that is by design. Yeah, you're right. We're not going to have a solution here. The only thing I want is for our very small audience to view examples of corporate wokeness Mm. and see them for what they are. See them as cynical grabs in marketing from organizations that have no interest in seriously having these discussions or even more than that, seriously addressing their own inequalities. You know, every time I see a company talk about like talk about a desire to like engage with diversity in our in our workplace, I sit here and I go, okay, so you're gonna like hire a certain number of people with you know these resume stats um, who also happen to be people of color or um, in your interview code as queer. Mm. Um, or are visibly trans. Um, But if those same people seriously advocate for their groups inside of your organization, are you going to take that seriously? Are you going to put them into a block of actual leadership? And when I say leadership, I mean, are they in your C-suite? Because if they're not in your C-suite, you done did some bullshit. I had to go to a racial equity train. I didn't have to go. I was asked to go to a racial equity workshop by my employer once. And it was me and my boss and one of my coworkers. Both both of them were white women. And it was me. And I go into this workshop. And I'm surrounded by, this was a few years ago, I'm surrounded by other people who are in various small businesses um, throughout my community. And I sat, and at one point, like, because I, I was mad at this workshop, not because it was bad information, but because for me, it was surface level. I'm sitting here going like, yes, I too have read Howard Zinn. Move the fuck on. Can we engage <laughs> with something deeply? Uh-huh. And it wasn't that kind of workshop. It was for people who weren't, I, this sounds arrogant, but I mean, it, was, it wasn't for people who have done the reading that I have, no. who have the education that I do. Yeah, it was baby's first steps. And I looked around the room and I've. Yeah. And I looked around the room and I said flat out, okay, I think, and I I asked this group, I said, all right, I am here because my employer is looking to make an active investment in making sure that its staff um, is considering questions of race. And and to it, I know for a fact that my, um, that my executive director has taken this training and wants his, as many people in his organization as possible to also take this training. I'll give that credit. I sat there and I said, okay, how many of you are here because of an employer? And most of the room raises their hands. And then I go, how many of you are um, executive level or C-suite level? Two people in that room of about 50 raised their hands. Sure, sure. And I know for, and I knew one of them because I connected with her um, previously because I had actually interviewed for a gig with her organization before I got my current job. Um, she is a um, Argentinian woman who runs our local um, domestic violence and sexual assault advocacy organization. She was one of the only two. She's the executive director there. 
And I was like, okay, you're already a person of color. You're in the boat with me as far as already knowing a lot of this shit. And you're here. But where are all the white C-suite executives here? People aren't really committed to this. They project it. Yeah. They put the right signs out. But they're not committed to it. On that dour note, um, should we move on to our question? I, I think we should just, uh, if, if for no other reason, to to pick pick the emotional uh, pace back up. <laughs> oh, God. 9-11, Michael K. Williams tribute. The cynical nature of corporate wokeness. Yeah, this is going to be a and hard now, one. A moderately, and now a moderately, this is a real downer of an episode, moderately funny question, though. I do love this question. I'm, I'm excited for it. All right. You did the intro, so I'll read the question. Um, okay. We're going to end up ignoring the names that this person gave, most sure. likely, unless we find like good characters for it. But yeah. all right. Actually, I might have one for this. So um, my, this is a 31-year-old male, fiance slash girlfriend, who is a 28-year-old female, is upset that I propose with an NFT instead of a ring. What can I do about this? Uh, for this post, my fiance will be Jenna, fake name. I'm 31 and Jenna is 28. Jenna and I have been together four years. We have discussed marriage and agreed we would both be interested in the right situation financially. Jenna has recently been mad at me as I lost a significant portion of my half of our savings in Dogecoin. Am I, am I pronouncing that right, Andy? I do believe it's Dogecoin. Doge Dogecoin. Do Dogecoin. Dogecoin. Okay. For those of you who don't know, that's the like Bitcoin knockoff that's all about the, the dog meme. The dog, yeah. Which I, yeah. I don't think we've ever talked about it, but neither of us are into crypto like at all. So, no, no. Um, I did make half of it back with stock market options and then lost some more, and she wanted me to quit, so I did. Jenna does not have an investing mind and is more interested in saving your money in a checking account and then buying a house or something. But I want to show her how we can multiply our money with investing. Well, things were going okay, and then I found something that made my jaw drop. It was an NFT with significance to our life that she would love. I rushed to buy it with almost my entire life savings because I know this is a good one that could be worth a million when we're older. I got down on one knee and presented her the NFT, and she started crying. She said I was TA. I think that means the asshole. I, yeah, I was also confused, but that, that scans. Yeah. Um, and how could I do this? I explained to her that in 10 years, we could buy a mansion with this, and it's a symbol of my love and devotion, but she sees it as selfish and foolish. I don't want to sell the NFT because it's once in a lifetime, and I don't want to leave her. What can I do? So you said you had... Uh... So we want to go with Jenna. I feel like there's... Yeah, if we want to go with Jenna, I feel like there's a 30 Rock reference somewhere in here. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Because there's Jenna, Jenna and Paul. I don't remember Paul well enough to say. I mean, to be clear, Paul and 30 Rock would never do something like this. The worst thing that Paul ever did was... Um, go behind Jenna's back to uh, perform as Cher in his drag shows instead of just as Jenna. Oh, no, yeah. In my mind, like, Jenna's the one who who spends the money on this. 
<laughs> uh, and and would try and you know what and would try and propose that way like you know maybe like I, I'm fine with Jenna. They do and get Paul. in. You're fine with Jenna and Paul. Yeah, I, the only one I was going to uh, say, and I, I think maybe it's because of our question episode, but I feel like we've done. I've, I've thrown out so many of these. My idea would be a couple of Star Trek characters, so I'm fine with Jenna and Paul. Okay, Paul from Thirty Rock. So no one else is drinking against the Teamsters. It's only me. I'll do it. <sighs> But only for the attention. Oh, uh, I got to find out what his last name is, but that works for me. So I read, would you like to start? Yeah. Um, answering a question with a question. Has everyone just forgotten dot coms were a thing? Uh, this is my problem with crypto in general. And this is part of why I don't do it. This just... <sighs> Bitcoin and it when it was just Bitcoin was one thing. And the idea of creating a new form of currency on frankly arbitrary value metrics, it, it read a lot like the dot com bubble to me and I was scared of it, and then it seemed to burst. But when it burst, it didn't burst like a bubble, it burst like a spider egg sack where now there's a goddamn million of these things and between doge and uh what's the fucking blockchain and you're hearing about a new coin every week i don't understand how any of these have a real tangible value i don't understand how the fuck nfts work it's literally a picture and in the year of our Lord 2021, there is no piece of media you can keep locked away on the internet that somebody can't make a copy of. So what can you do, Jenna? Or, or, or are we saying this is Paul? Uh, I thought this was Paul. All right. What can you do, Paul? God, man. So I don't think she asked paul to sell the nft specifically so the most exact pedantic answer i can give to this is if you're really sure that this thing is going to work keep it hold on to it and give jenna a uh, a piece of string and tie it around her finger count of monte cristo style and say okay here is the ring that represents my love to you I don't have money to get you a real ring because I spent it on this NFT, but I promise this NFT will work out. I mean, shit, man. I, the, the practical thing that I don't think anybody who is uh, actively involved in crypto would listen to because they're going to say, well, I know better than you is get the fuck out of crypto, sell the NFT, try to get your money back. Presumably you would be able to get, back what you spent on it unless the 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 value is wildly fluctuated already but sell the thing get into get into stocks if you if, if you've got such a a desperate need to grow your own money get into stocks it's not necessarily any safer but it's at least a little more familiar to everybody get jenna an actual ring and work on yourself and work on listening to your partner 
is my advice. I'm there with you. Um, the initial thought here is absolutely everything Andy said as far as communicating with your partner. You fucked up here, Paul. You fucked up here because you, at the beginning of this, stayed up front that it was half of y'all's life savings. Yeah. Which means your life savings were together. We've talked on this podcast before how... Um, not to get in depth, but I share finances with my partner. Andy does not. Both of these are acceptable and valid things. Howst ever, in both of those cases, if Andy were to blow a bunch of money, technically speaking, he is perfectly within his right to do so as long as he can still cover his responsibilities in his relationship. If I blow a bunch of money... I'm more on the line there because my agreement with my partner is that for significant purchases, she be involved because we share our money. Either way, you done did fucked up, Paul. <laughs> but here's here's the thing I'm going to say beyond what Andy has advised as far as communication is concerned, because you did not communicate with your partner about this and you just spent your fucking life savings on it. And I can tell you don't know the first fucking thing about investing, Paul. The reason why is because you're so sure. People who are smart about their investments are not sure. They are never sure. They take calculated risks. There's um, there's an old rule of investing, which uh, admittedly is considered a little played out, uh, a little bit, which is that before you start investing in things like stocks or real estate, you should have, I believe it is two years of your annual salary already just in savings. Before you start investing in the stock market, seriously, like you should already have that in place. Mm. So that if something goes catastrophically wrong, you have a windfall. Now, there are, uh, more recently, there is a version of this that is a little less stringent. Uh, admittedly, if you do that, not everyone can do that, especially with the way that wages are these days. Um, that's just not sustainable, and that prevents a lot of people who don't have a lot of money from investing. The solution there is the same solution you have when you're gambling in a casino or on a cruise, which is you have your gambling money set aside, and when that money is gone, you are fucking done. Sure. So that so that is if you make forty thousand a year you set aside a certain amount um, for the sake of easy math. Let's just say it's $1,000. And with that $1,000 a year, you can invest that anywhere you want and make as much money or lose as much money as you can. But the point is, when that $1,000 is gone, when you have lost that $1,000, you're done for the year. You played the game, you lost, you fucking wait. Because if you're going to spend your life savings or half of you and your partner's life savings on investing, you're bad at investing. And if you say, I'm sure about this, it's going to be worth a million dollars in this many years. You're an idiot who doesn't know the first thing about investing, so you should quit. Read a few books, learn some shit, and learn how to adjust your expectations here. Because right now, not only are you fucking up your money, you're fucking up Jenna's money. And what's more, you are so blind to your fucked up that you think an NFT 
is an acceptable replacement for an engagement ring. Yeah. You don't listen. You are blinded by your greed and ambition. You are undereducated and bad at this. And you need the maturity to accept. This reads like a sitcom plot. Like, I could see fucking if Friends was on the air, if, if the Friends reboot actually happened and was like an ongoing thing again i could see this as some like b plot where chandler tries to like propose with an nft and i understand chandler and monica were already a thing whatever god what i mean what is okay honest to god what the fuck is the material i'm pretty sure there was like a flintstones plot that was probably ripped off from a honeymooners plot probably where, like, Fred took, like, Wilma's wedding ring and, like, pawned it so that he had the money to bet on a fight that, like, he knew was going to go a certain way. Oh, yeah. And then during during the fight, um, the person who was supposed to win because he's so much better, like, slips and gets knocked out by himself. And so Fred loses all the money for Wilma's engagement. Like, that's... I'm pretty sure that's a Flintstones plot that was already ripped off yeah. from something else. How is this? Like, the only material difference between this and that is A, you're not married yet, and B, you had the idiocy to think that an NFT is a sufficient replacement for an engagement ring. That means you don't know your partner. Do you understand that, Paul? You don't know anything about your fucking partner. Because if she was someone who that for whom that would have been valid... You would have been right. But the fact that you were so blindingly wrong shows you don't know her. <laughs> I, I, I'm i mad at Paul. I hear I'm it. I'm more mad at Paul than I am. I am more mad at Paul than I am at other people who have legitimately, I think, maybe, maybe done worse shit. But my problem is that Paul is an unexamined idiot. Right. And I have lost all pain. I just did an entire segment on corporate wokeness and ended the Michael K. Williams section with yelling at people who are shitty about those who are drug addicted. Fuck you, Paul. Get your shit together. Sell the damn crypto. Apologize to Jenna profusely. Get out of investing and get your fucking life together. You asshole. <laughs> Well, I don't have anything to top that. So thank you, dear listeners. Um, I hope you missed Angry Alex as much as I did. I swear this might be the angriest I've ever heard you during a question segment. <laughs> so, honestly, it's so great. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, and this has been Love-Hate Relationship. If you have a relationship question and you don't mind, like, if, it, if it's a bad one, you don't mind Alex going off like a motherfucker, uh, <laughs> you can send those in to lovehaterelationshippodcast at gmail.com, or you can send them to us at Twitter. Either way, we promise we'll read them. That's right. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even TuneIn Radio. Hey, Mom. Um, I'm sorry for this episode. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at LHRPod. That's L-H-R-P-O-D. Um, follow us there to keep up with new episodes, to see what we're tweeting about. Or you can send us your questions directly. As Andy said, we'll take it via DM. We'll take it via email. We'll take it however you choose to send it to us. 
Absolutely, that's right. Um, I have another show with the incomparable Stephanie Johnson, and that is Cult Fiction. And I don't know if there are any Michael K. Williams movies in our list of movies that we review, uh, but I sure hope so. Um, and you can find Cult Fiction everywhere you can find this show. You can find me, Andy Boel, on Twitter at JovoCop2113 or on Instagram at Sir underscore Acha with two A's at the beginning. I'm sorry I don't have any easy to type screen handles. Maybe this is why people don't randomly start following me. Um, You're good. But if you want to follow me and see my my blossoming model addiction, um, that's where I'm posting that stuff. Alex, I've been good. I, I haven't bought any Warhammer models since we recorded that episode. And I think I'm ready to treat myself by buying some Warhammer models. <laughs> I'm very proud of you. I just bought a guitar for my birthday. So (laughs) Um, (laughs) you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and Lichess at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z. Thanks for listening, y'all. As ever, please tell your enemies. (laughs) 